Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Today, we're going to take a look at running Chapter 1 from the Kobold Press Adventure Empire of the Ghouls. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to exclusive adventures, exclusive city source books, access to a dedicated Discord channel, and access to the monthly Patreon Q&A, you can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. And you can find a link to that in the show notes below. And to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. I want to share my experiences running Empire of the Ghouls, in particular, what it was like to get started running this campaign and talk about running chapter one. I have only, I'm not even yet fully through chapter one yet, but I wanted to do a video to talk about my experiences and I will hopefully do a video for each of the chapters of Empire of the Ghouls as we go. It has been very interesting. One of the things I was very excited about with this campaign was breaking away from all first party adventures, that all uh, adventures written by Wizards of the Coast, which I've run many. I've run like 16 different adventures from Wizards of the Coast. And I wanted to run a few big campaigns from third party publishers. Cobalt Press is one of my favorite publishers and Empire of the Ghouls looked like a really cool one. It was a really good opportunity to do a few things. One, run a campaign in a completely different setting. And two, to use a lot of third party material for character options and DM options as well. So one of the things I wanted to do was instead of using Tasha's and Xanathar's, which is pretty typical, you use a player's handbook, plus Xanathar's Guide to Everything and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Instead, Tasha's and Xanathar's are out and the Midgard Heroes handbook is in and the Tome of Heroes is in. Now we're still using a couple of little features from Tasha's like the flexible attribute shifts or you can move your attributes to whatever, or you can move your ability bonuses to whatever ability score you want. And a few of the other quality of life changes that exist in Tasha's. But the subclasses we're not including. The subclasses and the spells from either Tasha's or Xanathar's Guide we are not including. And instead, we are including the spells and features that exist in Tome of Heroes and Midgard Heroes, which has been particularly interesting. So I'm going to talk about all of that. I'm going to talk about what it was like to do with Session Zero. I'm going to talk about what it was like using these other character options, all that kind of stuff. So we'll start by taking a look at my one-page campaign summary for Empire of the Ghouls. You can find a link to this one-page summary in the show notes below. If you happen to like the template for this, patrons of Sly Flourish have access to a Word version of the template so they can make their own one-page guideline. Because really, every one-page campaign guideline should be customized around the group that you're running. It's not, it doesn't really work that you just grab this whole cloth and run it right for your group. You're probably going to want to customize it. So what I always try to do with a one-page guide is sort of get the players to understand the kind of world that they're going to be in, to understand what kind of campaign they're going to be in, and to give their characters the motivation to head off in a certain direction. So what I typically do is ask players for a session zero to... Uh, not show up with a character yet. They can have some character concepts in mind, but I don't want them too wired around a character before they've had a chance to hear what the other players are thinking. And that way, during a session zero, we can kind of go back and forth. They can riff off one another. They can come up with backgrounds. And the, the groups are generally tighter. It's it's always a little convoluted. Like everybody's sort of like, well, who goes first? And how do we want to do this? And am I going to take the rogue? Or are you going to take the rogue? There's a little bit of that, but it's it seems to me that that works better than having six independently created characters suddenly show up in one game. So I usually ask that they either come with no characters characters or two characters and why I ask why they have two is that way and I say don't fall in love with either of them bring two different ones and you get to kind of pick like which one you want to do so if you're really like eager to make a character and you just can't help yourself that's fine but make a second one too then about two days before we're going to get together I, I send this guide out so they have at least something that they've read ahead of time so they have a little bit of an idea what they're doing but I don't send it out too early because I don't want them to think about it too long I only want to give them like a day or two and most of the time they don't have time to build a whole character between the time that they get this and the time that they go the 
one-page guide here talks about the main theme, that darkness is growing beneath the crossroads of Midgard to the north of Vampire Overlord's rule of the Blood Kingdom. They're sending the nobility of former Empire of Krakowia into, into exile. This is all part of the theme. By the way, this is full of spoilers for Empire of the Ghouls, so be aware I'm going to be spoiling this adventure pretty thoroughly. If you plan on running an Empire of the Ghouls, you probably want to avoid this video. But all of the stuff that you're seeing on this sheet is stuff that I expect the players and the characters to know, that this is common knowledge. These are not secrets. These are not things I'm holding back to expose during the game. These are things that the characters know. They know that there's this, this war that's taken place to the north. They know the vampires have taken over. They know that the Empire of Krakowia has gone into exile. They know that the dwarves have become more insular and that political kind of political strife and, and societal violence is beginning to grow and boiling up in the city of Zobek. And the starting location for this campaign is the free city of Zobek, set right dead center in the middle of Midgard. So I then have like the truths of Midgard. These are the things that I want the players to know, the things that I want the characters to know. That that Zobek is the city at the heart of the world. It's a freestanding city. I have a little bit longer descriptions in here than I typically do because we're in a whole new world. So I want to kind of reveal more about Midgard, this world that Cobalt Press kind of operates in. I want to I want to reveal more of that to the players because it's an unknown world. It's not like it's just another region of the Forgotten Realms. It's a whole different place. But that said, we still do that spiral development where you're focused around the city of Zobek, what's going around around Zobek and the problems that are going on there. And we don't need to expand super wide into all kinds of different areas. That said, a lot of the players brought, they, they spent some time reading about the different races and classes that they were picking and the different backgrounds that they were picking and how that fit into Midgard. And so they had a lot of Midgard lore wired into, wired into their characters already. And I'll talk more about like the, the products that really helped with that. We start off in the free city of Zobek. It talks about where it exists, that the Blood Kingdom is to the north, east of the Dwarvis Cantons, the, the Magdar Kingdom, the Margrave Forest is nearby, to the, the Southlands or to the south. So it's really right in the dead center. And all of those places are going to come into play. And one of the things about Empire of the Ghouls that, that didn't really surprise me, but it's something that I, I definitely raised an eyebrow and said, hmm, I'm going to have to make sure that pay attention to this, is it is huge in scope and scale. You travel like 3,000 miles in this game. You're all over the place. So for an adventure that really exposes all of the major areas of Midgard, a real travel log of Midgard, this is a great adventure for that. If you were looking for a clear, focused adventure that focused on one major location and kind of the adventures going on in that location, this is not the adventure to you. But if you want one where there's a lot of travel to the north, a lot of travel to the south, and it gives a lot of opportunity to use a lot of different products that Cobalt Press has put out that reveal these places, this is definitely for that. But it's definitely worth considering early how you're going to handle that travel, what you're going to do for that, how you're going to make sure that that stays fun. Because if, if a lot of long distance travel is not for you, this might not be a great campaign. Then we talked about like what's going on in Zobek itself. That that you know within the last century, the citizens of Zobek overthrew House Strauss, a terrible leader who ruled over the city for 600 years. They ruled with an iron fist. They were really terrible people. And at that point, the city of Zobek became a free setter gov city governed by the mayor and and 11 consuls. So they have an elected political arm when they didn't before. I talk about the ley lines and shadow roads. That there are these magical ley lines that the elves have put into place many centuries ago, but now they have sort of fallen into disarray and now there's these shadow roads that's getting into the options for travel that i plan on, on bringing in here and one of the products that i plan on tapping into a lot for this part of it is ebon tides ebon tides is a new book cobalt press just put out that talks all about the ley lines and the shadow roads and the realm the realm of shadow and the things that are going on there the rise of the blood kingdom the fact that you have these vampires and i didn't really tie the ghouls into this too much because i didn't want to play my hand about the, the ghoul the, the ghoul imperium 
too early. So I kind of pulled that part out, even though it is getting kind of common knowledge. But the idea is like, hey, there's a big vampire war that, that happened to the to the north and that it they overthrew the people of the Empire of Krakovia. And that there's rising tension in Zobek, that they, the external dangers are getting to be, you know, they're sort of growing and, and, and the city of Zobek is becoming more of a hotbed. So that's definitely a big part of chapter one. And I guess it's going to lead more into chapter one and that that will kind of get solved as chapter one. Chapter one's almost its own like mini campaign. Like I'm handling like a mini campaign. So they talked about who the characters are in Midgard. They're native to Zobek or travelers from medicinal land, but they're starting off in Zobek. They're working together. The, char- the, the players that brought their characters in really integrated well. They had lots of backgrounds, but in many cases like, oh yeah, he and I were both traveling companions together or he hired. Or, yeah, this guy thinks he's my lawyer. Very funny stuff. I mentioned that the campaign features a lot of overland travel uh, over many regions. I want the players to know there's going to be a lot of travel that you know they're going to head far to the north they're going to head far to the south they're going to head down into dungeons deep so i want them to know that there's going to be a fair bit of they're not just going to be sitting in the city of zobek the whole time and then i talk about character creation so what i decided to do for character creation because i really wanted to experiment more with third-party material i wanted to bring in these other books i wanted to to make my whole my own DD, the DD that i run at my table stronger by bringing in lots of sources from lots of different places instead of just focusing on things that wizards of the coast provides so i said we're going to use the player's handbook midgard heroes handbook and tome of heroes i'll get into why i included both the midgard heroes handbook and tome of heroes which both seem like they're very similar books but there's actually a good reason to include both then i said that you know you can use the class options and attribute allocations from tasha's but not subclasses or spells should any ability and that's actually not true because there are some tasha spells that i will include like the 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 conjurer animal ones are way better than the summon so there's a couple spells that i would replace for for tasha's and we kind of handle that one-on-one one thing that i'm kind of adding and as i bringing any bring in any new third party material i'm probably going to have this conversation with the players up front that every so often we'll run into stuff from us from any source material whether it's wizard of the coast or whether it's from from a third party publisher that if there's a weird ability or combination of sources that ends up being disruptive to the game, I'm going to work with the player to try to figure out a better option. This is my, hey, I know you love Twilight Sanctuary a lot, but it's really making it harder for me to run the game. Can we come up with an alternative? This isn't just plain nerfs like oh that's overpowered it's really when it becomes harder for me to run the game or more difficult for the players to really enjoy the game if there's anything where it's being just you know what i consider something to be externally disruptive to the game that's something i want to come up with and that's because i have not read everything that's in tome of heroes or midgard heroes and i don't know that there's stuff in there weird combinations of stuff are going to end up breaking the game i just don't know so anytime i'm bringing any new material i'm probably going to have this in my one page guide to say there may be times where we run into weird combinations of skills abilities and whatever spells that are disruptive to the game and i will work with the player who has the character that has these to try to come up with an alternative hey we're going to work together to try to nerf i'm not going to just nerf stuff so repetitiously i'm going to talk to the player about it and i've done that in the past i did have a player who brought in a, a twilight cleric as a subclass and i explained my issue with twilight sanctuary and we came up with an alternative and he was like the alternative is fine and it was less disruptive to the game so the characters beginning at first level we calculated ability scores using either standard error point by i have this new one of like instead of worrying about your ability bonuses and where you put them and how you use point by that instead we have a standard array of 16 14 14 12 12 8 i i made that right after i made this guide and was working with players i was like it's so much easier if you just say your your ability scores are 16 14 14 12 12 8 you decide where they go if you don't want to do a point by you can do a point by if you really want to manipulate things but if you don't want to do a point by it's much easier to just do this and i said because we're using material 
material not in D&D Beyond that I recommended using a paper-based character sheet like it's 1978. The optional feat and multi-class rules are allowed for this campaign. So you do get to use feats. You can do multi-class. I'm not really sure if I should include multi-class because we already have this weird combination of abilities. But my, my point was like it, this might be harder than what you can just throw into D&D Beyond. And I'm going to talk about that. But there was a little bit of a struggle for the players to move to paper-based character sheets. But we are, this is an in-person game. Uh, I think even if it was online, that would still not be a terrible way to go. But I know online, I might have been more willing to use like Roll20 to do character creation online because Roll20 does include these third-party sources. Because we're already playing in person, I thought it'd be kind of fun to just use regular old paper character sheets. But I do know that players, a, a, a few players, a handful of players, still generated a character in D&D Beyond, even though they just substituted other options just to make sure their math was right. So they used it for things like calculating skills, for making sure their hit points were correct, for a, a lot of the other math that they would be doing that, you know, they would be doing by hand. They just kind of pushed that stuff into D&D Beyond, saw what it is, and then they wrote it down on their physical character sheet. So then I have my two sets of safety tools that I included in here. I include this again. These are all included in, in just about every game I run. I talked about pause for a minute, this idea that at any time anybody in the campaign can say, let's pause for a minute. We break out of character. We listen to what the person has to say, and we, we discuss what that means. And it can be anything from an actual safety issue. Hey, I'm really not comfortable with this, the area that we're going into this, or pause for a minute. If you could be a little less descriptive of those of the crazy gore it could also be for I, I don't really understand where we're headed with this in this conversation what is our goal or i'm sorry i'm lost where are we now physically where are we right now so you can use it for a lot of different things so i, I talk about that the other one are lines lines and veil lines are things that that so i i describe what the campaign might have which also includes my own lines and veils but then we also discuss it with the players on any other additional lines or veils that they that they might have that we can always add them to the list and so this one actually king king empire of the has a lot of different content that I think is worth pointing out to make sure players are comfortable with it. There's a lot of areas that it gets into that I think are I would consider to be sensitive areas. And I wanted to make sure that, A, some of those sensitive areas I'm not comfortable with. So I'm just going to remove them. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Some of the sensitive areas are like, okay, I just want to be careful with this. So the examples are that, you know, hey, here's the things that it does have. It does have undead eating folk, unholy ritual sacrifice, entire societies of terrible people, kidnapping, ghouls, gore, murder, blood, more ghouls, physical restraint, rats, insects, and even more ghouls. Those are things that are, are in it and, and could be overt. Then there are things that I consider to be veiled and off screen. And that includes torture, slavery, racism, bondage, discipline, and consensual sadomasochism and drug use. It, the consensual sadomasochism is a weird one. I'll get into that. Chapter one in particular has a lot of what I would refer to, and I know I'm, I might be prudish, as weird sex stuff. And it's not that I'm against weird sex stuff. And it's all consensual in the book. I think it's mostly consensual. I think there's times where people are like under influences of drugs and things like that. And that could be a little creepy. There was enough stuff that I was like, you know... I'm going to I'm going to put that I'm going to either veil that heavily or I'm just going to change it because it's just it's not even a matter of like are we uncomfortable with it or is it putting somebody in an uncomfortable situation sometimes it's like you put this stuff on the table and as a as a, a I don't know what exactly a defense mechanism but a way to handle this kind of weird uncomfortable situation is to sort of joke about it and then the jokes compound and next thing you know it heads off in areas that you really didn't want to go and it's not like everybody there's like oh this is horrible I can't hear this stuff it's just like is that really the direction you wanted the game to go? Is that the, is that the idea of the story that you wanted to go? And I'm thinking, no, nah, that's not really what I want to do. So I, so a lot of the, the weird sort of BDSM, I'm actually not including that. I, I'm focusing more on drug use and less away from the BDSM just because I don't want to like, you know, put dry kindling out there 
for the fire. Oh, hey, my mom is here. Hi, mom. <laughs> and then I have there things that are lined, things that we are not we are not going to have any sort of non-consensual sexual contact or harassment, uh, player initiated torture, player initiated racism, which is definitely an, a, an important one for this campaign. And I'll get into why violence towards animal violence towards children, misogyny, transphobia, homophobia. None of that is none of that is going to be in the game. And those are those are hard lines that I'm bringing into the game. Now, any players that had any other hard lines. And I think when I talked about it with the players, no, nobody had anything else that they added to this to this list. I'll talk a little bit about the characters that we hit in there. They're referred to as the people who care, but then they're like, well, are we all people? Because boy, there's a lot of different people. So well, Bruno, who's played by my wife, is a bear folk bar barbarian, I refer to, barbarian occultist. And what's really neat is, so she's a she's a barbarian bear folk, but she has this, like, she's the one that's kind of like, sort of interested, not, she doesn't want to be part of a cult, but she likes kind of investigating cults and knowing what's going on with cults, which is great because there's a problem by Cobalt Press called Demon Cults and Secret Societies. And I can basically say like this book that I'm holding, your character has a copy of this. They're able, she's able to go through and be like, oh yeah, this is about those, uh, the, the, the bat, the bat, the bat cultists. So she's able to, to kind of dig into that. So that's really fun. We have Durham played by Brian, who is a dwarf wizard, a guild artisan and gunsmith. His wizard type is the gunslinger wizard type, which is one of the subclass types that exists in Cobalt Press in either Midgard Heroes or Toma Heroes. HB played by Jerry is an arena which are like hedgehog folk. First, it is very interesting. Jerry always seems to play the anthropomorphic animal. So he is now a hedgehog. He is a hedgehog, a hedgehog rogue. And he thinks he's a uh, he thinks he's a lawyer. So he refers to himself continually as Roholland's Roholland's attorney. And, you know, which is just great fun. And he picked up when they fought bat cultists in one of the places, uh, he got a, a hold of a sacrificial sickle, a sickle that they used. And the sickle is, is, you know, tied to the bat folk and lets him once per day sprout bat wings and fly. And so every so often he'll say like some sarcastic statement to like an official and then sprout the wings and fly. And they're like, did that hedgehog person just sprout bat wings and fly? So we have Roholland, who is a human druid, is an innkeeper in the story. He is actually the owner of the inn that plays prominently in chapter one of Empire of the Ghouls. I'll talk about that. Ved Pinion, played by my friend Paul, is a gearforged ranger, a gearforged, he's a cobalt gearforged. So he's actually very old. I think, yeah, I think it's a he, is very old. And but is but it was a kobold that was put into Gearforge form, which is really kind of interesting. So he has a longer connection to the history of the kobolds in, in Zobek, and in fact remembers the time when the when the kobolds were all sort of enslaved by the families, the the, the Strauss family who ruled over the town. Versi is played by my friend George. He is a ranger sentry and he is a bouncer of the inn of the tavern that that plays, which is known as the Southern Mirage. It was originally known as like the Rampant Roach, and they changed the name to the Southern the Southern Mirage. And we have Winasia played by my friend. Mike, who is a Minotaur Paladin Amazon. She is from the Eastern tribes of the Minotaurs that trained heavily in archery, but she herself is not an archer. So those are the characters that we had. Again, they were all kind of built together during that session zero. Worked really well. You can see we have bear folk, we have arena, we have gear forged, we have a Frostfell elf, and we have Minotaur. So they definitely picked of the races that are, are more prominent with Cobalt Press stuff. I think Rohalan James played a human, and that's because James, when he generates his character, randomly rolls to see what kind of character he's going to work with. He doesn't, he doesn't pick. He likes to randomly roll and 
and see what comes up and then pick from that, which I have a lot of respect for. It means he's a human in a environment where pretty much everybody else, I guess Durham, Brian did play a dwarf and a dwarf is a pretty, a pretty standard, a pretty standard race here. So not only did I see running Empire of the Ghouls as an opportunity to run this particular campaign, but also an opportunity to dive into the world of Midgard, the Midgard world book, for example, is this huge world that goes on. It's really, really cool. Very rich book. I really, really like it. And this is an opportunity to run a whole campaign and for people to explore it. And Empire of the Ghouls is a really good campaign to do it in a very similar way that if you wanted to dive deep into the Sword Coast of Forgotten Realms, if you really wanted to have an adventure that showed off most of the Sword Coast, an adventure like Horde of the Dragon Queen, which is also written by Cobalt Press, by the way, or Storm King's Thunder, really can have characters travel all over. Empire of the Ghouls is sort of Horde of the Dragon Queen or Storm King's Thunder kind of adventure for Midgard. It tr you, you travel everywhere. So it means not only do you get to use the material that's in Empire of the Ghouls, but I also get to use all these other books that I've got. And I have a whole bunch of other books that I really wanted to dive into. This is really my big opportunity to use all of these other Cobalt, Cobalt Press products. So that includes Mid the Midgard Heroes Handbook, Tome of Heroes. Tome of Heroes is brand new. This is a great big book of new character options. Huge book. Bigger than Xanathar's and Tasha's. Tons and tons of new character options. The original Book of Lairs. This is a, the one that came out with the Tome of Beasts, the original Tome of Beasts had a book called The Book of Lairs. I actually wrote one of the adventures in it called Den of the Rotten Kings. And that was an adventure that I ran. I think it's the first time I've ran my own adventure. I ran Den of Rotten Kings as part of chapter one of Empire of the Ghouls. So I got to, you get to use stuff like that. There's the, of course, all of the Tomes of Beasts and Creature Codices, all of the books that Cobalt Press is putting out that include all of these new monsters. Many of those monsters, this is a great opportunity to use Cobalt Press monsters. My players regularly said like why does Mike hate us so much and oh my god he's using another Cobalt Press monster again because they definitely hit harder and are more dangerous than what you might expect from the vanilla 5e monsters that are out there they definitely hit hard at all levels so I really I like and I like that and I'm able to tune it pretty carefully but like they ran a game this past Wednesday and they almost wiped out fighting a bunch of rat folk because the rat, you know, a couple of those rat folk rogues are really pretty dangerous so I, I really dug that the vault of magic of course big big book full of magic items I you can use that in any 5e game but because i'm kind of focusing a lot on cobalt press material i wanted to use the vault of magic and i did i mentioned demon cults and secret societies which is a really fun book that covers all these different cults and because they're traveling around so much there's many different groups that we can operate there so demon cults and secret societies is a book that i think i don't remember if it was i think it was a kickstarter from a while back I can't remember if it was a Kickstarter or whether you can just buy it. But it gave me an opportunity because there's a lot of different cults that are in here. So the Red Sisters play a big part in Chapter 1 of the game, Chapter 1 of Empire of the Ghouls. And I also wanted to bring in the Emerald Order. The Emerald Order is this like... They're, they're not, they're sort of a, a, a heavy arcane focused guild from the South, but I wanted to use the Emerald Order and actually a particular member of the Emerald Order as sort of a driver to kind of push the characters in a particular direction to say like, hey, these things that you're doing here in Midgard, what you're doing here actually has a bigger effect. There is a major plot that's going on right now and I'm only just beginning to see the edges of it, but it's here and it's, and it's involved. And because one of the characters is an occultist, this member of the Emerald Order was able to directly talk to her and say, like you, you know, you're going, you should go to this place at this time because something is going to happen that's going to put you on a path 
to something even greater. And my thought is like the Emerald Order is trying to manipulate the situation that's going on with the ghouls to try to get an advantage themselves. And I think the characters are going to have the opportunity to travel to the south because in the Empire of the Ghouls, you go to the south. And I don't know if you go to Nuria Natal, which is like the city there, the, the Emerald Order goes, but I will probably bring it there. This is another opportunity to bring in a lot of different groups, a lot of different factions into this very widespread campaign. One of the fun bits is they were going to go find out secret information from a corrupt council member. And to do so, they were going through the Undercity, which is like the, the underground the underground grotto underneath Zobek. And they found, they felt like a dark presence and they heard some things, they fought some weird bats and they went in and they fought a priestess of the Night Cauldron of Chernabog, this, this other cult, this bat cult. And they fought and killed a bat cult and they were looking around and they're like, we think this altar, like the altar was really old and it wasn't just focused. And they're like, is this sort of like a community altar? Like other, other cultists can come here and conduct their rituals and like Thursdays is Cauldron of the Chernabog Day and the Sanguine Path comes here on Fridays and Selkex Sting their their Saturday afternoons. So it's like the YMCA for evil cults. But that was really, they, they had a good time. And that was a fun way to introduce this whole other group. And again, not tied into the major plot line, but just something they do. And they got a cool magic item. They had a nice fun battle. I got to use a cool Dwarven Forge setup and a cool magic weapon from it. So, so this is really, I'm enjoying the ability to kind of tap into all of this lore, all of this stuff that's coming in from all of these other sources that I can kind of draw in and use. And it reminds me very much of my Numenera game. I've been doing very much the same thing with the Numenera game where I'm trying to use like as much Numenera material as I can because, you know, it's like my one big opportunity to run a nice big campaign in this area. I don't know how many of these I'm going to get. So I want to just draw in as much material as I can. I'm doing the same thing with this and all of these other Cobalt Press books that have come out, both for myself and the players by offering up the Midgard Heroes and, and Tome of Heroes. Why did I use both Midgard Heroes Handbook and Tome of Heroes? And the reason why is that the Midgard Heroes Handbook is actually more tied to Midgard, where Tome of Heroes was really designed to be a general guide of classes, races, backgrounds, and subclasses for any RPG. But in many cases, Tome of Heroes includes material or updated material that the Midgard Heroes Handbook had. So I wanted it, I ended up including both. This was based on Richard Green's recommendation. I asked him, like, hey, should I use Tome of Heroes as the main source book? Because it would make sense. It's a great big book full of character options. He's like, well, there's a lot of really good backgrounds in the Midgard Heroes Handbook. And it ended up that my players used a good mix of both. I think many of them ended up using the Midgard Heroes Handbook. Depending on what you're running, you don't want to get confused. There is both a Midgard Heroes Handbook for 5th edition and a Midgard Heroes book for 5th edition. And they are not the same book. Midgard Heroes is a smaller book. It came out earlier. That one came back out in, in, back in 2015. The Midgard Heroes handbook, I think, includes a lot of the material in the original Midgard Heroes book. But the Midgard Heroes book was really a conversion of... 3.5 and Pathfinder material to 5e, where the Midgard Heroes Handbook had more, had, had sort of more development done on it. So you definitely want to pick up the Midgard Heroes Handbook, not Midgard Heroes Book. I got that confused with one of my players. It's like, oh, I bought it and he bought the wrong one. That was very sad. One of the tricky bits about running a campaign where you're going to offer up these different class options is that D&D Beyond makes it so easy to share this material because... If you're using the material that's in D&D, using D&D Beyond makes it so easy. But in particular, if I buy a product from D&D Beyond, I can share that with all of my players and they can just use it. But if we're playing, in my game, we're playing at the table 
And I, I really, I wanted people to have options of these books, but telling them like, hey, go buy the Miro's, Midgard Heroes Handbook for $25 in PDF. And then also buy the Tome of Heroes for another 30 bucks. That's $55 just in PDFs. That's more than the price of a single hardcover book for just the two PDFs. So what I ended up doing is I went and bought an extra copy of the PDFs, which then at the table, we can kind of share on different table tablets and things like that. And so I have copies of physical books, and then I have my own copies of the digital books, and then I have an extra copy and then a couple of the players pick them up too. So we have enough to kind of cover everybody, but there's a bit of like, it's, it's kind of a high price. If you want to say like, Oh, we want to include this material, but you have to go buy these other two books and everybody has to buy them or you have to share them at the table. The problem is because it's so much new material that sharing at the table isn't really that practical because there's a lot of material to read. So that ended up being a problem. I think a better solution to this is to buy it on roll 20. If you have, if you, if you can talk to, if, if your players have roll 20 accounts, if they're willing to even log in and roll 20, you can actually buy both of these products on roll 20 and you can share them through the compendium on roll 20, even if you're not using roll 20 for anything else, even if you're not running the game in roll 20 or building characters in roll 20 or anything like that. Now, maybe your players say, sure, I want to go ahead and use roll 20. I want to use the character builder in roll 20 with these options so I can build my characters there. That's certainly fine. But even if they want to do it in paper, even if they want to do it by hand, the ability to buy one copy of the book on roll 20 and then share it with your players out on roll 20 is really advantageous. And that's something that there isn't really a good way to do it otherwise, other than saying like, hey, you want to use these books, you have to buy both. So what I've generally done is said like, hey, we're going to, you know, I will buy a copy. I have, I have a, both a digital and a physical copy. I'll buy an extra digital copy and we'll share that around. And sometimes if they, when they find the material that they want, they can copy and paste the material that they want into their character sheet or into a text file. So they have the stuff for their character. Like if they pick a subclass, they can just like, you know, print out those copies. I think we've, we did this. We print out the copies of that subclass option, which then they can take and slide into their into their player's handbook or something like that so that can work but sharing it's one of these things where like learning how to play again after using DD beyond for a few years is really challenging and i talk about the importance of us like not relying on DD beyond for our overall joy of DD. that if we want this hobby to remain strong for us individually we need to remember that DD beyond is basically a license and it's a license that can go away and they can kind of decide what they want to do with it they can decide who they let in who they don't allow in so it's super super convenient and boy i can tell you my players love dnd beyond i think every player in all my groups really like dnd beyond some of them definitely recognize the danger that that it poses and i have a couple that are like no we're going to just stick to character to paper character sheets and you can do it it's really not that hard to do paper character sheets but boy it's so convenient but that convenience comes at a cost and that cost is that it limits the amount of material you can use and everything like that so that's that's definitely certain something to, 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 to keep in mind so the other material that i've been using i use the midgard heroes handbook tome of heroes the original book of lairs the tomes of beasts Vault of Magic, Demon Cults and Secret Societies. There's another book called 12 Peculiar Towers. This is a book that has these like interesting layers. 12 Peculiar Towers is just a book of kind of like layers, right? It's a, it's a handful of weird towers. And my thought with this is like, these are great landmarks for their journey. I haven't started using this yet, but as I get into chapter two, and as I get into the other chapters, I definitely want to dive into this of like weird layers and weird towers. And Cobalt Press has tons of books of layers for all of their monster books. They have these books of layers. And I want to go through and use those so that they have locations along the way. This could end up being a pretty lengthy campaign. Like, they, you know, if I drop in a lot of these little side quests and things like that, you know, I definitely think... 
that this could end up going on quite a ways. But I wanted, I, I think that this is kind of a fun way to handle travel, that having like big landmarks, maybe even running a point crawl where they can, people can give directions. Oh yeah, you want to go ahead, but go to the Midnight Tower, but I wouldn't go in the tower. It's dangerous out there. It's right on the edge of the Margrave and we know what that's like. So you can, you can use a lot of this material as secondary quests, side quests, things like that. I think Empire of the Ghouls really works as this good framework for a great big campaign, a great big expansive campaign with lots of stuff. It is a like a central tree with a central plot line that's going on, but lots of ways to fork off. And I think I might end up doing that. So that that could definitely be, this could definitely be a useful resource for this. 12 Peculiar Towers, plus I think all of the other books of lairs, Cobalt Press has prepared a bunch of different mini encounters that you can have along the way. Those are great ways to sort of fill in, I think, a lot of the travel, but I haven't done it yet. So I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do it. So Cobalt Press just put out their book of Ebon Tides, which talks all about the Shadow Fae. It's a, a book that, that goes in this whole other thing and it talks about the shadow roads and stuff like this so this is another book that i plan to kind of take and squeeze and squeeze out of it in particular the appendices at the back have different kind of shadow realm encounters and other other sort of things that i can tie in so i think that there's a lot of information in here the idea of bear folk who operate sort of the guides of the Shadow Roads, I think could be really cool. I don't know if I'm going to run any big deep adventures in this area, but I think it'll be a good source of material for me to kind of squeeze out some inspiration for their traveling, for their, for their travels across the journey. I love that cover. God, the art in this book is absolutely amazing. So this is definitely a my opportunity to use as much of this material as I want. So that really talks about how I'm going to be using Empire of the Ghouls overall, but I thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about chapter one and what it's been like to run to run chapter one. So Empire of the Ghouls is a great big book. In the show notes, you can find where I did a whole spotlight on the book where I talk about the whole thing because I'm going to skip further ahead. So there's a whole thing about the underworld as a place and how that operates, but I'm really going to be talking about the first chapter, which is Dread Chambers of the, of the Undercity. Dread Chambers of the Undercity all takes place in the city of Zobek, and the general idea is that Kobolds are being framed for disappearances of people. The disappearances have actually been done by a priestess of Marina and her alliance with a ghoul uh, that's one of the members of the ghoul imperium that have come to Zobek to destabilize it. So there's a fair bit of stuff. It's a fun adventure, but there's a fair bit of stuff that I ended up changing in this. And I have no qualm or problem deciding to change some of the stuff that's in this in this chapter because I enjoyed it. So the first things that I changed is that the, the first part of the adventure is what I've referred to as Brick, bricks in trouble. There is a nephew of an NPC, Skirtal, who is the owner of this inn in my game. The inn is actually owned by one of the characters and he works for the, he works for the inn. And he has a nephew and the nephew is being accused of, of, of kidnapping and murder. They don't actually have a body, so they don't know that she's dead or not, but they are, they are assuming that she's dead. So Brick was accused of this crime and they are, the characters are conscripted to help prove that Brick didn't do it. One of the things that I changed is the first part of the adventure involves Brick's tasks. And it was like, hey, Brick has a bunch of errands. Why don't you go on errands with Brick? I didn't really dig that idea that like, here's this one kobold who has to bring like rats to different parts and, and he needs six people to go walk with him to do it. There was something about like, even at level one, I felt like that was below what adventures would do. So instead, and, and as another angle that I wanted to put in here is the idea that the priestess of the red of the red queen the red goddess 
and the ghoul, the ghoul that she's working with, are actually developing a, a weird drug out of a mushroom extract. And this drug fills those who ingest it with both bloodlust and susceptibility. They become kind of eager for bloodlust and at the same time can be manipulated. And that's so that the priestess and the ghoul can kind of take city politicians and give them this stuff, have them commit these terrible sacrifices and things like that, and then send them back and say like, you know, You've now done this terrible thing, but you now are, 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 you know, you now work for us. And through this corruption, their job, their plan is to destabilize the government of Zobek so that when the ghouls are going to rise up, there's no defense for it. They sort of want to cause riots in the street. They sort of want to destabilize the sanctity of the city and do it. They can do so by corrupting nobility over here and accusing kobolds of terrible crimes over here and causing riots to take place. So I, I wanted to focus more on that than I think the adventure focuses on. But I'm using a lot of the places from the adventure. But instead of the characters following Brick around from these different errands, they may follow brick to go to where he was harvesting mushrooms for food but the mushrooms he harvested the same mushrooms being harvested by this gang of were rats known as the the rotten kings and the rotten kings are taking this mushroom extract and they are selling it to to felicia to the priestess and her her ghoul her ghoul boyfriend and they're using it for it so the characters can kind of follow this path of we found out the mushrooms. We found out the Rotten Kings are taking the mushrooms. We go to the den of the Rotten Kings, which is from, from the Book of Lairs. They find out that they've been delivering extract to this one group and they've been taking money from a sub, an aide to a councilwoman. And so they've had these options of who you know, following this political path over here or following this path through the undercity over here. They did a little bit of both, finding out they, they, they eavesdropped on the political person. That's how they found out that the Rotten Kings were doing it. One of the things is I kind of moved the keys so that finding out where this place actually takes place, they would have to do both of those tasks before they would find out that, ah, it's down in the catacombs are where the train transfer of this extract takes place. And so now the players are going down there. One of the things that I did change, there's a couple things. They have a good section on here about handling the racism that exists inside Zobek. And this is something that I wanted to be very careful with. There's definitely a lot of racism against kobolds in the city of Zobek. So I had to make it very clear to the players, like, the characters do not engage in this. You guys are friends with the kobolds. You know that the kobolds exist. And instead of like really overplaying the racism stuff that every time a kobold walks by, people just yell nasty things at the kobolds. I said like, well, the, the reason why is they think that the kobolds are kidnapping these people and that it's building up this sort of grilling, but that the kobolds were actually one of the heroic groups who helped free Zobek. So that it's really not, it's really not played up that way. But it's, it's definitely, I, I took note of this particular section that says like, here's, you, you want to worry about you, you want to pay particular attention to how you're handling racism in this game because it's too easy to like make it make it you know too you know just put too much energy behind it and then it can steer the game in directions that you really don't want it to go so i was careful about it talking in session zero and careful about how i've been handling it in the game itself another thing where they don't have a uh, a real breakout box for it is there's a lot of what i think i referred to earlier is like weird sex stuff there is this whole sort of the the whole priestess of marina is kind of into this you know weird sacrificial blood stuff on one side and weird BDSM stuff on the other side. And I'm just, I don't need to have the BDSM in my game. So I'm kind of like eliminating that part of it. And instead getting back to good old traditional, you're ingesting weird drugs and committing sacrifices, right? Like that, that's more straightforward stuff. That's a, a very common trope. And you'd say like, why are sa human sacrifices? Why is that better than 
you know, consensual BDSM. And I have no good argument. <laughs> I have no good argument for that other than just like it's it's an, it's sort of an odd thing to have in a game. And I, even my my weird sacrifices stuff is all is all veiled. Like I don't I don't have gory ass sacrifices occurring. So I'm so I changed that a bit, just kind of toning down that part. And I don't even know. I haven't even run the scene yet. So I don't know if there will be some you know areas where they can see like, ah, oh, they were engaged in weird weird things here but I, yeah there was just something about that whole side that kind of that kind of steered me off so i said you know i'm just going to downplay that part of it and i'm going to focus on what we consider to be a pr- pretty traditional D kind of adventure where you go into a big room there's a bunch of people in hoods there's the person on, a, on an altar there's a priestess with a big dagger and you get to stop the sacrifice from happening pretty straightforward stuff so so that's what i'm going with i definitely like foreshadow boris cruel is the name of the ghoul i think he's really cool and Felicia Felicia ba- Bale Sereth is the red sister, the the priestess of the red sister, who are conducting these these rituals. And I think that they're they're a fun power couple in this game. And I don't know what's going to happen with them. They probably end up both dead. But it, you know, it could be that maybe one or both of them manage to get away. They are the ones that are showed here, which I think is which is it's kind of cool. Also, a little bit of creepy sex stuff going on there. But you know, you downplay that. They just they just like holding hands. It's not necrophilia if you're just holding hands. So that those are some of the things that I've changed in this. And I'm sure I'm going to be changing a whole lot because I don't mind changing campaign adventures. As I'm reading through this, certainly the linearity of the campaign is something that I'm paying attention to. But I know that I can drop in all of these other ideas and sources from other books. I plan to make extensive... I didn't mention it, but Southlands is another book that I'm going to be using a lot of when they head down to the south. I think there's lots of opportunities for me to drop think my own ideas into this story and expand it out i think my only worry is does that mean i'm going to end up with a two-year-long campaign and my players want to move on sooner than that so that's certainly something that i have to keep in mind but there might be entire sections of this campaign that i throw out and replace with something else anyway so that really covers what i have done with chapter one of empire of the ghouls how i've started the campaign my thoughts about where it's going my thoughts about incorporating other cobalt press products and i'm really excited my players are having a good time it's been very interesting to play this sort of different it's not a different version of D&D exactly, but like a whole different flavor of D&D where like really the amount of material that we're using from the core book is essentially tiny little slivers of the player's handbook. And then almost everything else is coming from all these other Kobold Press books. All of these other books and material that I'm bringing in are bringing in lots of neat things. So I hope you found this video useful. If you did, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter where you can get a weekly D&D article sent right to your inbox along with a free adventure generator PDF. You can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore. You can see the link to that below. I have new physical versions of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion, all available in physical formats, available for sale there. You can support me directly on Patreon. You can get access to a dedicated Discord channel, a bunch of exclusive adventures, a look at the City of Arches campaign sourcebook, a 38-page city sourcebook, all kinds of material that you get for becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. And you can help me out by subscribing to this video, liking this video, commenting the video, sharing it with your friends. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.